Sometimes the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. Happy New Year, and welcome to the first episode of the Back of the Range Golf Podcast. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. That voice you just heard, you're going to hear him often around here. That is Mitch Phillips. Check him out at mpvoice.com. He does voiceover work for HBO and the NHL, and, and he's a good friend of the show, and clearly the most professional thing we have going on right now. Before we get to our first guest, if you have not already done so, take a couple minutes and listen to the preview episode that we posted a couple weeks ago. It'll tell you what you can expect from this podcast, how this whole thing came to be, and a little bit about myself. So to help you find it, go check out Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Stitcher, Google Play, it's everywhere. And if that doesn't help you, go to our website at thebackoftherange.com. We are also on Instagram at thebackoftherange. And we're getting started on Twitter and Facebook also. And if you want to send me an email, feel free to do so at ben at thebackoftherange.com. All right, enough of that. This week's guest is Steve Anderson from Hobe Sound, Florida. I really couldn't think of a better opening guest for the podcast. His list of achievements are incredible, but the stories that he shared during the recording were even better. He's a former All-American at the Ohio State University. He's a former Ohio State amateur and pub links champion. He's a multiple champion in the Palm Beach County Golf Association and the Florida State Golf Association. Two-time State Player of the Year. He's made multiple USGA appearances. I think you're getting the idea. It's been quite a few months of preparation for me to get to this point. I appreciate everyone that's helped me and provided me feedback along the way. So without any more sappy nonsense, I'm thrilled to welcome the first guest to the show. Steve, you're at the back of the range. Hey, Ben, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Just uh, early in the morning over here in South Florida, just a few days before the new year. I really appreciate the time, and I believe you're heading out pretty soon to go camping. Is that correct? Oh, we're leaving in an hour or so to go camping for a few days out near Okeechobee. So everybody else is still sleeping, so it was a good time to, to do this here before the new year. And I'm looking forward to answering some questions. <laughs> wow, you sold that one pretty well. Good. Um, <laughs> so uh, so we're definitely going to hit on your, your golf achievements, but I, I just have a random question for you here. I know you're big into hunting and, and camping and fishing. Do you find yourself turning down those activities to play golf? more golf or do you find yourself turning down golf more now to go fishing or camping or, or hunting well to be honest with you i found myself in the past year turning down more golf to go to uh, kids sporting events soccer okay. and, uh, and softball so and probably more fishing to go to soccer and softball and my kids are at an age my son's 11 my daughter's 14 so uh that's become more important. And to be honest with you, uh, being an amateur that's 47, 48 years old, you're kind of in no man's land between getting your butt whipped by the younger guys and not old enough to play with the senior guys. So it's kind of easy to turn down some of these <laughs> off invitations to be honest with you. Okay. All right. So it's a lot. So basically it's easy to be, to have less ambition right now. Well, whoever came with this up with this 55 for senior amateurs and 50 for pros that, uh, you know, it's if, not it was, if it was no, if it was fifty, it'd be a lot easier to to be more excited. But uh, you know, somebody came up with this mid senior category uh, a few years ago, which is which is forty and over, which is which is fine. But there's not many of those events, so 
Yeah. Uh, I'm just trying to keep the game in some type of shape until I can compete with the old guys. Well, we're, I'm sure we're going to have plenty of stuff to talk about when you do hit the senior ranks, but let's, uh, <laughs> let's kind of dial it back a little bit and focus on your start in the game and specifically the experiences you had as a junior player. I was always a baseball player, to be honest with you. Just, uh, you know, I grew up in a small town in Ohio and, you know, we weren't a member of the private club and, and, and golf wasn't really the, the thing to do was it was baseball and, and uh, basketball and to some extent some peewee football. But uh, my dad always coached the baseball team and I was very active in that. But uh, just one time we were on vacation in Myrtle Beach, played golf. I really liked it. Started started playing some. I think I was 12 or 13 and uh, when I first picked up a club. And after playing golf, it uh, started hitting the baseball, popping everything up and uh, just decided to focus more. <laughs> more on golf and we joined the, the private country club there in town which was not much but uh it was a working class club so during the week there was nobody out there in the summer so it you know it was very it wasn't uncommon for us to play 54 holes in a day there was really no range to speak of and so you you just played golf so that's what we did we play golf swim in the pool and go play more golf so it uh the game and uh, Actually, it came pretty easy to me and improved very quickly in the first couple of years I was playing. So that's really how I got started. Well, yeah, I can uh, I can relate with that baseball start. Once you once you stop hitting a lot, that game becomes becomes less and less fun. So yep, yep. So it sounds that like you had a ideal introduction to the game of golf with full access at this country club. I would imagine your first organized experience in golf would have been playing for your high school team. Is that correct? Yeah, I was I was the first freshman in my high school history actually to play varsity a varsity sport. It was the seventh, eighth, and ninth went to junior high, my high school, and then ten, eleven, twelve at the high school. So they actually had to bust me down to meet the high school team and and to go play. But they had just recently changed that rule where freshmen could play, so it wasn't like it was a great accomplishment. But uh, yeah, we had we had uh, a couple guys a year older than me and a couple guys a couple years younger than me. That uh, that's all we did was play golf and we go play tournaments and and uh, all summer long and and we just really played a lot together and uh, we ended up winning the state championship by twenty three shots. That's all. Uh, we had when I was a junior and then my senior year we lost by a couple shots, but I was the individual state champion. But it was just, it was just, just playing, you know, and I think that's not to get off subject, but that's one thing that's tough about kids down here is, you know, the courses are crowded and you have to ride carts and a kid just can't go out and play with his buddies and play all day. It's, you know, you got to have tea times and things. It's, uh, you know, we are very fortunate basically to have the run of the whole place. No, that's, uh, <clears throat> I, I can imagine that definitely helped with your, uh, uh, maturation in the game and your, your rapid improvement to go from, just kind of a baseball player than finding a, a a great great access to this country club and then work your way up through high school and uh, and lead yourself to college. So you're you're having great success in high school and I would imagine as a as a as a kid growing up in Ohio there's a handful of schools that have to be on your on your wish list where you ended up at Ohio State was that always your your goal or were you a, a Buckeye fan as a kid or did that just kind of give me, give me how that whole situation <clears throat> occurred? Well, my dad went there, and my brother was there at the time, okay. and uh, I kind of wanted to go south 
to play and, and uh, had sent out a bunch of resumes and things like that. And a lot of the schools uh, that I was interested in had sent back letters about, you know, hey, great, great resume, and uh, you're welcome to come down and we'll put you on the team, but we're not going to give you a scholarship. Okay. And, uh, you know, Illinois had just won the Big Ten with uh, uh, Steve Stricker and Mike Small and that group. And uh, they were recruiting me very, very heavily and offered me a scholarship. And, and uh, Ohio State and Coach Brown had won the Big Ten, I don't know how many years in a row, before they got beat by Illinois that year. So when Coach Brown got wind of that, that the state champion from Ohio was going to go to Illinois, then he made me a pretty good offer. But uh, to be honest with you, I don't know that he'd have done that if, if, uh, if he hadn't got wind of Illinois. But because he always kind of liked to have the out-of-state guys, and I don't know why, but, you know, that kind of – Kent State started uh, competing with him pretty good, too, of taking the Ohio kids that he didn't necessarily want and uh, and beating Ohio State, too, some. But uh, I guess to get back to the Southern School thing, I I, I did win an AJGA event that summer and had already committed to Ohio state. And then all the schools I wanted to go to, a lot of them had called me back and said, Hey, let's talk about this. But it was <laughs> too but, late, right? Uh, yeah, it was too late, but that I'm glad, you know, I'm glad I went to Ohio state. It was a great experience. And, uh, I can go back to football games with my dad and my brother and, and, and proud to say I'm a, I'm, I'm a Buckeye. And, you know, that's, that's the neat thing about it. Uh, you know, the football team's typically competitive and, and the games are, are great, so I enjoy going back. Before we started this episode, we were talking about how you're going to try and hook up a TV in some sort of a camper so you can catch the uh, the bowl game and <laughs> just see you. Well, we'll see. Or yeah. I have to sneak out and come home and watch that. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, they may be camping Friday night without me, but that's fine. That's eh, okay. So, yeah. so you're you're at Ohio State, obviously big D1 uh, athletic program with – uh, not just golf, but but football and just about every other sport uh, has got to be on the radar there and competing at a high level. What was the college golf experience like? Trying to balance uh, balance academics and and your relationships with uh, with the guys on the team. What was what was your college golf experience like? Well, you do. You mean you miss a lot of class, and uh, you seem broken up about that. Well, <laughs> I just uh, you know I in the uh, I got a business degree and business marketing. And, and that involved a lot of presentations, uh, you know, when you're doing your courses in your major. So, uh, there was a lot of group work and, you know, that a lot of that was done over the weekend before. So you could present your, uh, proposals and presentations in class on Monday or Tuesday. And, and I just remember I was part of one group and, and, uh, I would do the presentation. No one wanted to get up in front of the class and do the presentation because, of course, I missed the preparation work on the weekend. So they they thought that was pretty good. And so they'd hand me the report when I got back Sunday night or Monday and, and, and the presentation, and then I'd rehearse it and go over it. But I just remember they were talking about uh, uh, snowmobiles and, and things, this company called Bombardier, which obviously you've heard of it. It's a French-Canadian company that makes Sea-Doo's and, and all that. And sure. Of course, being a small from a farming community, small town in Ohio, I, I don't know anything about French or Bombardier, and I'd missed the whole, you know, week when they were discussing it. So I got up in front of the class and said Bombardier, <laughs> and everybody, I'm looking at my group, and they're cringing every time I'm up there. And, and I just remember, I think we, the professor said, great report, but if you ever got up in front of a company and mispronounced their name, 
they you know wouldn't give you the time of day, and I think we got a C minus or something. They're all upset with me, but uh, heck, I didn't know. But I I, I, <laughs> I looked back at that and laughed. But uh, yeah, they were they were pretty pretty upset with me, my group members. <laughs> well, at least you had the guts to get up there. I mean, you were uh, so. Well, I hate it now. I didn't know, you know, I, I didn't enjoy getting up in front of people then either. But it was it was a way for me to get out of doing the work. That's sure. for sure. <laughs> So tell me about the uh, tell me about the guys on the team. Strong team. We had a great team. We had uh, Ted Treba, of course, was there when I when I got there. He was a senior. He, you know, he's uh, I know he won at least one PJ Tour event. Was out on tour for a long, long time. Yeah. And uh, Craig Canada, who won, he won the Nationwide Tour Championship. Was out there on, on tour a little bit. Actually, didn't didn't play a whole lot for us in college, but uh, went on to uh, be a pretty good player. Uh, Gary Nicholas was was on the team, and, and of course he went on to play the tour for a while. And and uh, a guy named Steve Rungi, who's uh, on the Nationwide Tour for quite some time, uh, Chris Rule, who played the Nationwide Tour, and myself. Uh, you know, looking back at, at it, we you know we were ranked 12th to 15th, I think, in the nation, which probably for the team we had, we we're probably underachieving a little bit. But uh, you know, we had a lot of good players. So obviously you have a very talented team at Ohio State. Being a member of a nationally ranked college team would provide you, I would assume, with a lot of opportunities to play some of the upper echelon invitationals around the country. Any particular event that still sticks in your memory? Uh, yeah, I was fortunate in 1990 I won the Ohio Amateur, so that uh, that gets you into a lot of stuff and uh, a lot of tournament invites and one of the tournaments uh, where they invite, I think, all the state amateur champions and and uh, other prestigious amateur tournament winners is the Sonny Hanna tournament in uh, Pennsylvania. So, so I went and played in that, and and uh, if you look back of who played in that, it's kind of a who's who's list of who on, who goes on to, to have success on tour and things like that. But but. Uh, I think it was 1991. I was playing real well in the final round. I got paired with uh, Tiger Woods, so uh, he was a senior in high school. So, so that was that was neat. But uh, he was, you know, a skinny kid. He actually could hit a long way, and uh, obviously he was already well known. But it, uh, I did go on to finish second. I think I nipped him by a couple shots. But uh, uh, oh, Alan Doyle. Or not Alan Doyle. Was it Alan Doyle? I think I think it was Alan Doyle. We talked yeah, about Doyle. this. Yeah, yeah we talked yeah. about this previously. Yeah, yep, yep. He ended up winning, I think, by about eleven shots. But but anyway, I was I finished second. But I just remember the day before I was hitting balls on the back of the range and I was back there and it was just me and, and Tiger and uh but I always kept a fishing pole in my bag, so I there was a nice pond right back there. So in between a uh, little cool down, I took my rod out and went back there and started uh catching some nice bass and some big bluegill and, and things. And he stopped practicing, walked over and kind of check out what I was doing. And, uh, we talked for a little bit and then I remember his dad kind of walking up and telling him to get back to hitting balls. So that was <laughs> kind of the difference between his dad and my dad. My dad's like, Hey, yeah, great. Catch some more fish. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but he was nice and, and we had a nice time and, and, uh, I can say I played a competitive round of golf with Tiger Woods. So that was good. Yep, and it sounds like you caught more fish than him too. So yeah, oh yeah, still do probably. There you go. Wow, <laughs> uh, his boat's a little bit bigger than yours, though, Steve. 
Yeah, I know. <laughs> I got a new one coming though. Should be here in about a month. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, we'll 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 check back in with you and uh, get get all the specs on that one. Um, all right. So, having the success that you did at Ohio State, was it pretty much a given that you were going to give it a go as a, as a professional, or is, was that something that you thought about often while you're in school? Well, I guess you don't think that too much about it, but I guess it's kind of implied that a good player at Ohio State is going to try and give it a go after college. Uh, you know, I I remember we played a tournament in Marshall, and the great amateur Bill Campbell, who uh, you know, you can look up Bill Campbell. Obviously, he was, I think, a member at Augusta and just one of the greatest career amateurs of all time. He got up and gave this speech, and, and he he started out his speech. He said, I know a lot of you are going to turn pro after college, and I'm here to tell you you're not good enough and be the worst mistake of your life. Oh, wow. Okay. And we, we all we all kind of looked at each other, and he and he talked about how great a career you could have as a career amateur and and how it would take you places in life and get started in a, in a, in a career and an amateur golf looking back on that, you know, it's probably right. And I guess maybe that's one of the cruel things about golf is everybody, you know, to find out you got to give it a shot. And, uh, after college and you don't peak until, you know, around 30. So it's not like there's a team that's drafting you or not drafting you. And, you know, you got to make that decision yourself, whether you're going to put in the time and the effort and, uh, you know, some of your peak years of where if you did go straight into a career, you'd be advancing. So, uh, you know, that's a tough decision for, for a lot of guys. So you, you had the great career at Ohio State, and you obviously did make that decision, and you did turn pro. What was the what were kind of the details around that? How did you kind of get started and get set up, and where did your professional career start? You know, I didn't really know where I was going to go after college. It just happened that uh, a kid on our team, Jimmy Bell, whose dad, Jim Bell, was the tournament director of uh, the Arnold Palmer Invitational and super guy. And and we'd been down here, I think, playing a tournament in Lakeland. And uh, my parents were down, and Jim got to talking to him about Arnold was selling this little guest house over there at Bay Hill. And, and, uh, and he allowed some young aspiring pros to have what he called, I guess, the Arnold Palmer membership where you uh, pay reduced dues and make a long story short. My parents bought this house from, from Arnold and, and he threw in my membership until uh, uh, I turned 30 and, and I think I did pay dues, but uh, they weren't much. And just, that was just a, you know, a great experience. I had some place to go after I graduated, packed up the car and, drove to Orlando and was able to play and practice at Bay Hill for the duration of, uh, of when I was a professional. So uh, very fortunate with that. It's one of those things you look back on to realize how great it was until it's gone. But uh, met a lot of great people and played a lot with Arnold and, and uh, it was just a lot of fun. Well, I, I, I can't imagine what that must have been like going from the situation as a college kid at Ohio State and now you're, you're a member at Bay Hill and, and quite a member, it sounds like. Uh, I would imagine you played quite a bit of golf with Mr. Palmer. Uh, I did. It, uh, you know, they, they have the famous shootout there, and he was always an A player, and I was an A player. So a lot of times we weren't in the same group, but I'd see him almost every day in the wintertime. But I'd say maybe 40 times we played over the years in the same group. So that first summer I was there, there didn't used to be anybody there in the summer at all. It was, it was, it was hot. The course wasn't in very good shape. and So you pretty much had the place to yourself, but I was on the putting green one day. And I heard this voice say, uh, are we playing golf today? 
And I looked up, and it was Mr. Palmer there by himself. And actually, the big course was closed for maintenance. So I said, yeah, we'll, we'll play. So we went over to the Charger 9 and played that, that 9 twice. And it wasn't nearly as difficult as the big course. But uh, he, uh, on the first tee, he said, you know, what are we playing for? And I said, well, I don't know, for $40. And he said, oh, okay. So we went out, and I think I shot 65, and he had 66. I got the card someplace, but... And like I said, it wasn't that difficult a golf course. But then we went inside the locker room. We're having a drink. And he said, how'd you come up with $40? And I said, well, that's all I had. <laughs> there you go. And he laughed. He remembered that. He, he said, well, that's I remember those days. And he so we had a standing bet even when we didn't play together uh, for years and years. Uh, the, the, you know, he'd just look over at me and give me that nod. And I'd say, sure, we'd play for $40. And when we got in, we'd compare cards and. And, you know, he was definitely, you know, he was getting older. It was a pretty good uh, annuity for me. But, uh, but you know, he, he every now and then he would, he'd play well and beat you. And, you know, he could still, he could still play Bay Hill. I don't know when he would go play senior events. He would refuse to ride a cart. I think that had some effect on him, his sure. scores. I don't know if everybody would just say, oh, no, just ride a cart. You'll be fine. He wouldn't do it. But uh, he refused to ride that golf cart. But. But anyway, if when he did beat you, he'd come over and get you in a headlock and rub your head and everything. And my friends would just say, "That's awesome." <laughs> yeah, <would've>, that's. <laughs> I think a lot of people would just pay forty bucks for the headlock. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> but the people that would come just to to visit him was, uh, you know, the people that you would see would come in. I played with Leslie Nielsen one day in the shootout, and that was one of the probably best experiences oh I've had playing golf. And I just remember one Sunday morning we played early on Sundays and. I'd been out a little late and things were a little foggy and I was walking out of the locker room and opened the door and there's uh, President Bush standing there, first first President Bush, just by himself, you know, the Secret Service, he was going to the restroom and this was, of course, before 9-11 or anything like that and Secret Service had just let him walk off. And he wasn't the president at the time, he was, I mean, Clinton was president, but he, you know, he was there visiting Arnold and I said, oh, geez, good morning. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, but just the people that would come to, to see him was it was amazing. Well, what kind of – now, obviously, you had the experience playing golf with him, but what about uh, – did you ever find yourself in any conversations with him about you know, trying to make it as a professional or any advice or any insight that he might have provided to you, anything that stuck out? He would say you just got to find what works for you. Obviously, he kind of had a homemade swing and had heard – people whispers about the way he went about it and things and he never let that bother him so i guess maybe that that was it i don't think he was real technical you know when it came to the golf swing or anything like that um he just was a competitor he, he just loved golf i he you know that's i think that's kind of when he started having the struggles with with health and with and things is when he couldn't play golf anymore i mean i tell people all the time i bet he's played probably five times the rounds of golf in his life that jack nicholas played just because he you know jack was a competitor and loved the competition and but did other things and arnold just you know played golf every day almost all year long so that's you know that's just the difference but uh well you you mentioned uh you mentioned mr nicholas now you you played with gary at ohio state so this is <laughs> this is kind of an interesting uh interesting connections you have you're you're basically a uh, per, uh member at bay hill playing golf with with mr palmer and i would imagine through your friendship with with gary nicholas you have some sort of a uh 
relationship or have seen or played some golf with with Mr. Nicholas. So, uh, can you tell me any any good stories about uh, playing golf with him? Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, I played with him a handful of times. Uh, like I said, he didn't, you know, he would. I guess back when we were on the Golden Bear Tour, he came and played some practice rounds with us. I just remember playing up at Ballantrae, which is now called something else, St. Lucie, St. Lucia Club or something up there. And Jack had just designed it. We were going to play a Golden Bear event up there. And, and uh, you know, heck, he had to be in his 50s when we went up there. And I just remember him shooting 29 on the front nine. And of course, we're, you know, I was me and Gary and Steve Rungi from the high state team. And, and uh, you know, we're trying to, we're thinking we're pretty good. And here's this guy, he hadn't played a whole lot comes out and lays a 29 on us on the front nine. But I, I remember we stopped for lunch for about an hour and then he didn't play well in the back, but I kept thinking, why'd we do that? Why'd we, st- <laughs> yeah. why'd we stop for lunch? But I mean, he can, he can really play. And, and that's, I mean, he could put really play then obviously he could play, but uh, you know, he, he wasn't a gambler or isn't a gambler you, for $2. He'll try and beat your brains out, you know, and that's the thing about Arnold. Somebody can come in and a pro play Arnold, you know, for $200, and he was out there laughing and joking and and everything and, you know, not even really paying attention to who's winning. And that's it. That was just the difference. Jack, I mean, Jack is, is a competitor. It doesn't matter what it is, and he'll tell you he'll tell you that. You know, he plays tennis still to this day with, with guys, and, and it's a serious tennis game. It's just not out there. Uh, for giggles, you know, he's anything he does, he wants to win. So I guess that's, that's the difference. Sure. So you mentioned the, the golden bear tour. So that was pretty much the, the mini tours that you were working on as after you got out of Ohio state, did you, did you have success on the mini tours and then just, just didn't think that the tour life was for you or <laughs> gave it probably 10 years. I, uh, yeah, I had success on the mini tours. Uh, back then, they had the you know these big money mini tours where you put up a certain fifteen grand for the summer and summer series of tournaments, and and you can make money at it. Now a lot of that's gone away for some reason, but uh, you know I lived in Orlando in the winter, and then I would come down here and rent a place in the summer, and and that tour series ran for uh, four or five months and and things, and and you could you could make a hundred grand doing that, but uh, for some reason I, I had a, I couldn't get through the second stage of tour school. And if you didn't get through the second stage of tour school, you had no status. So that kind of wore on you after a while, you'd see guys that you'd beat all summer long that would get through tour school or get to the, you know, get to the nationwide tour. And I always thought, well, if I can just get to the nationwide tour, then I got a year to you know prove myself and, and things. And it just never, never happened for me. So at some point, uh, you get to where you're around 30 or 32, 33 and, and uh, you got to make some decisions, but you sure. know there's there's some people that have pursued it on past that. There's still some guys that are my age that have never uh, have been off and on uh, the nationwide tour, many tours have never made it, and they're still trying. So uh, it's just something I just decided it was time. I was having some back problems and things like that, but but for some reason that second stage of tour school got to be a uh, whether it was a mental thing or or, or what, but. Uh, I just never had the never had the status on the PJ Tour nationwide tour. Well, it sounds like the Golden Bear Tour was just a hotbed of talent uh in those days. So, who were some of the guys that uh played on that tour and then kind of moved on maybe a little bit further? 
you know, Brett Wetterick stayed with it for a long time, got out there. Unfortunately, he then he got injured. Yep. Uh, you know, who knows what he would have gone on to do. But, uh, you know, Bryony Baird came off of that tour and went out there and was very successful. And, and uh, you know, Ken Duke stuck with it. You see, you know, he yeah. won recently. And, and uh, uh, yeah, he won the Travelers. You know, Tim Petrovic, you know, he, he, he came off that tour and, and went out there and, and did well. So it's, uh, you know, then you got guys like, I just remember the first time I played with Mike Malizia, who's uh, now a teaching pro. And I thought, man, this guy's one of the best players I've ever seen. And, and he never made it. So it's just, you know, it's just why some guys make it and some guys don't, it's hard to tell, but you know, I, at some point it's, Talent's very, very important, but there's more to it than that. That's for sure. It's all about the timing of when you have your your best stuff and when it counts, right? Yep, timing and it's getting it done when you have the opportunity. So you spend your time on the Golden Bear Tour, and as you said, you spend about ten years playing the mini tour, and then you have to make that decision that hey, you know, I need to find something else to do. I need to find a different career. Tell me how you transitioned into real estate. Uh. You know what else do you do? <laughs> well, I don't. I don't know. I, I've never. I haven't had that problem of being a touring golf, funny, golf pro. Yeah, uh, there's quite a few of us that have been uh, professionals, and then you know it, uh, and got into real estate. Uh, it's. It does seem that you know, there are a few I, careers. I, 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 yeah, it does seem I, there are a few careers that it seems like a lot of these guys down here in Palm Beach County that are right. It's either a golf pro, or real estate, or insurance. Or what are you do? Insurance. You know, yeah, insurance. Yeah. Sure, and. Uh, yeah, I was a marketing major in college and, and transportation logistics. I had two majors and, and, you know, being trying to get into that at, at that age at the ground level just didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Uh, you know, you can make a lot of money in real estate. You can make it pretty quickly. It's, it's, uh, so I did that and got in with a company called Oceanfront, which, uh, I think Gary Nicholas actually recommended me to talk to these guys and, so I did, and then real estate started booming, and then some of the Nicholas kids decided they wanted to start Golden Bear Realty. So that was a natural uh, decision for easy decision for me to go over there. So, so that's what I did. I was, uh, I think now we have two hundred and some agents, and and uh, I was one of the original two or three agents of the company. So, uh, the company's grown and things over the years. So, so that's been real good, but. Uh, yeah, it was just, you know, something I could I could do pretty quickly and transition to. And to be honest with you, you know, after calling your own shots for 10 years and doing all that, the thought of going sitting in an office someplace and uh, not being in control of my own time didn't really uh, suit me. Well, that makes perfect sense. So you're you're at Golden Bear Realty, you're you're getting your real estate career uh, off the ground and and moving in a positive direction. But I would imagine that at some point you are thinking about playing some golf again. So tell me about getting your amateur status back and competing again in golf. I remember I hadn't played anything in, in a little while. And for some reason, Gary Nicholas had signed up for the Golden Bear Tour or, or <laughs> paid his, his dues that summer. He was still a pro. Actually, I, I think he'd just come off. He didn't have his tour card that year. So he had signed up for the Golden Bear Tour. But obviously, after being on the tour and the Golden Bear Tour, he he wasn't real motivated. So he had called me uh, the night before and said, Hey, there's a tournament up in, uh, Mariner Sands that, uh, I've already paid. All you have to do is show up, pay a hundred dollar change fee and you can play in my spot. Well, 
you know, I was already a year probably in to get my amateur status back. I figured, ah, what the heck, I'll go play. So I went up there and played as a pro and paid the $100 change fee. And the very first tee shot, I remember my tee shot stuck in a palm tree and I had to go back and re-tee it. And I missed the cut. That cost me a, a year of getting my amateur status back. So I guess that was kind of. Yeah, if that doesn't tell you, know, you, if that doesn't give you. No, nah, that was pretty obviously to me. And the, tea, and the trees right, right off the fairway, you know, it's like you're just trying to cut the corner. It wasn't even that bad a shot. So, but I hear, you know, I made that awful sound that it makes when a ball sticks in a tree. I could hear it, you know, yeah, right when it goes in there. Yep. <laughs> so that's so not, anyway, that's that, like an obvious, just like, what? Right. You're, you're done. What are right. you doing yeah, here? Well, what are you why doing? Why are you here? Yeah. yeah, why are you here? But, uh, you know, I, I, applied and it took me two years from that date to get my amateur status back my good friend rj nikashian already got his back and he was telling me how great it was and of course he was out there winning everything and winning player of the year for palm beach county and telling me how he was buying all his christmas presents and things with all these gift certificates <laughs> he was winning so 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 i did get my amateur status back it's ironic i, I won the, my first amateur tournament back at uh, martin downs on that same course that uh at stableford event that martin that palm beach county has uh-huh. and uh so anyway I, I that's i was able to get my amateur status back and rj was right you do get a lot of gift certificates and and things uh you know you end up with a lot of golf shirts and a lot of golf balls and, and things but but it's still competitive. It's, you know, it's, it's still the same feeling. It's no different when you're out there playing. You know, I thought that I'll get, uh, get my amateur status back and I'll be out there trying to sell everybody a house on the golf course and the golf won't be that important. And I'll talk to everybody and, and, uh, be real social. And when you get out there, you're still trying to just beat everybody's brains out and you're not trying to sell anybody a house or. Yeah. I was, I was going to say, I, that does not sound like the guy I've played against and played no, with. I no, was like, man. I still, yeah. I still don't say much and I'm still competitive. So it's, yeah, but, uh, that's hysterical that you actually had that thought in your head that you were going to do that. I, I just, can't, oh, sure. I just can't yeah. picture you as like the Lee Trevino esque guy out there, uh, uh, talking and chatting everyone up, uh, at these tournaments. I just see you just kind of being quiet and shooting 67s and, and, uh, taking gift certificates from RJ all the time. <laughs> well, RJ and I've had some pretty good battles. That's for sure. But, uh, Nah, I guess the point is it's still it's still golf. You see people that uh, you know get their amateur status back. These guys go one of two ways. You know they get their amateur status back and they think they're going to play in everything. And and it's you know some people it's not for them. You know that have been pros they disappear. You know you see it all the time. The guy play a bunch for a while and then all of a sudden he's gone and you just never see him again. But uh, and then some people like RJ and myself just uh, you know enjoy it and. And, and stick with it so it's uh i enjoy the people i enjoy the competition but uh i'm not out there trying to sell anybody a house that's for sure <laughs> well we're i i don't have enough time to, to list all of your your amateur achievements but well let's just say you've won in the palm beach county golf association and just you know briefly as far as state stuff uh you know 2010 and 11 state amateur player of the year you were the 2010 palm beach county player of the year and then mid amateur four ball wins and mid senior wins and amateur match play wins and a lot of that and then state mid am wins so there's there's just tons and tons of victories there and then a lot of it's also uh, you've partnered up with with a lot of the the big names around the state whether it's uh whether it's rj uh or it's uh uh, Rick Wolf or, or John Veneziano. So yeah, I knew John, I knew John and I knew RJ from, from professional golf and then met Rick, uh, 
we had some good matches in the mid-am there uh, years ago, and obviously Rick's a tremendous player, and uh, so are RJ and John. So I've been fortunate fortunate there. Uh, did play some events with Gary when we when he first got his amateur status back, but he's 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 funny to play with because he might the night before say, "Ah, oh, let's not play. Let's go fishing instead. Let's go to the Bahamas <laughs> or something." So, and I think I had a chance to win Palm Beach County Player of the Year one year, and uh, the last event was a four ball, and we were going to play, and he did that. Said, "Hey, let's go to the Bahamas." We had a great time in the Bahamas, but anyway. So, but uh, so Gary and I don't play a whole lot together anymore. Can't just, really but, depend on Gary, can nah, you? Nah, because you know, and trust me, I love fishing in the Bahamas. But uh, yeah, I mean, just you know, with the state stuff that I've played with John and things, you know, we I love a good road trip, and and we we laugh and, 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 you know, go out and experience the, the local areas and things too. And then, you know, he's not a big practicer and I'm not either. So we, we go play and then we go have fun. So that's, it's fun to get out and see the different parts of the state, but, uh, you know, RJ and I, uh, played a lot of county things and, and, and a lot of state stuff together. And, uh, we'll probably get back into that now. I think we have a, We'll have a when he turns fifty-five, and I'm not quite there. We'll have a couple opportunities to play some junior-senior stuff. If he'll have me, he might be looking for a younger, younger partner. But uh, <laughs> but the county, the county's great. You know, you can it's right here, and uh, they're nice enough to let Martin County people play in the Palm Beach County Golf Association. They have quite a few tournaments up here. Sure. And uh, you know, you're always sleeping in your own bed, and the and the competition is not. Uh, much below what the state is i you know it's there's a lot of the good players that, that play in the palm beach county and there's a lot of good players that play in palm beach county and don't play in the state stuff for some reason so well uh, you're kind of leading me to another question that i have for you so you obviously have had great success in palm beach county great success at at, at the state level and you've played some usga stuff i know you've you've qualified and and played in some us mid-ams and um uh, you know some other USJ. Do you do you still like playing that because of the uh, you know it, there's a lot of travel involved with that. Do you like the the USGA events or do you just would you rather stay local? Oh, I love the USGA events. I mean, heck, they treat you great. There's nothing like a USGA event. It's just uh, you know that was one of my regrets when I was playing amateur golf before I turned professional. Is is I never qualified for the US Amateur, and it got to be a mental thing there too, and and it was late in the season qualifier and I've always kind of played my best golf in the beginning of the summer and, and spring and things like that. But it, uh, when I got my amateur status back, I qualified for the first U S amateur that I, that I attempted to qualify for. It was at Pinehurst. And, uh, I just remember going up there and, and I didn't play poorly. I didn't make match play, but I just remember Ricky Fowler was there and watching him hit the ball and chip the ball. And these guys pitched the ball off the bare lies and, and I just uh, thought, well, I went and played in the U.S. Amateur, and and uh, you know what? That's good enough for me. And I never tried to qualify again, so <laughs> it was it was one and done. So I started trying to qualify for the mid amateur. I think I I played in three mid amateurs, and and uh, and that's I mean that's that's super. I made match play every time, and and uh, they just treat you well. And then they had the came out with the U.S. four ball to replace the pub links. And RJ Nakashian and I qualified for the first U.S. four ball they had at Olympic Club out in San Francisco, and we made match play and got beat in the first round by the eventual champions. So, you know, the USGA events are are, are fantastic. It's just, uh, you know, the U.S. amateur for to 
to compete in that, uh, you know, that's it's a whole different level of play there with those college kids in the USAM. So this is a little bit of a delicate question, but I'm going to go ahead and ask it. You are a reinstated amateur, and I believe the statistic from this past year's U.S. Mid-Am had the field at about 30 or 40 percent were former professionals. So there's a lot of guys that are playing these Mid-Am events that were former professionals going against guys that have never been a pro. I think a lot of the challenge in getting people to play tournaments and not just play around their country club is to give them a um, feeling that they can be competitive with everyone in the field. So how does a Palm Beach County or an FSGA grow the game for the guys that are shooting in the you know mid to higher 70s when they have to kind of compete against guys that were you know maybe not lifelong amateurs? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I see the point, to be honest with you. Actually, I think it was higher this year in the mid-am. I, uh, I saw the same stat you saw, and it's it's been that way. And typically, the winner is a reinstated uh, amateur. But uh, uh, I don't know what the answer is there, unless they go to you know have tournaments just for strictly people that were never a professional. Uh, you know, some of these guys that that were on tour and get their amateur status back. You know. I don't know what – I mean, obviously, they mentally they should be sharper. Competitive-wise, they should have, a, have an edge. Uh, but, you know, do you want not want them to be able to play for the rest of their lives in, in anything? I, I understand where you're coming from. Um, you know, you, you got some people that have been reinstated two, three times. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think it's uh, two years now. It's, I think it's five years the second time, and then they shouldn't be able to be reinstated the third time, I don't think. But I don't know what the answer is to that. I, I agree with you that uh, maybe for someone that's never been a professional, uh, and it, it, you know, if that's the rule, then it may encourage some people to think, think twice about turning pro. So right. uh, there's definitely kids turning pro out of college. You've got no business turning pro. I mean, it's there's a handful of, of kids that – that make it every year. And typically those are the kids that were pretty much, they knew that they were going to, you know, be, be successful at it. Now, are there kids that work hard and, and have success, some success later in life when they're in their thirties and things like that, just from working hard that weren't good in college? Of course, of course there are, but, uh, I, you know, there's probably just way too many people turning pro after college. That's for sure. Well, I don't really know the answer to it either. I just think it's a fascinating discussion. You don't want to tell people that, well, if you turn pro, you're not allowed to play in an amateur golf tournament ever again. It's it's difficult discussion, and I'm not really sure the, the answer. I guess you want to make sure that the guys that are breaking 80 feel like they have a tournament to play in because it's not easy to break 80. I mean, right. So, But you also don't want them to feel that they're in a situation where they, they can, you know, they're a 76, 75 shooter, but they have no chance in some in an amateur tournament. Yeah, but I mean, you got some, some guys that just love to compete and love to you know measure themselves over some of the best players. And uh, I mean, I you, you've seen it. There's guys in Palm Beach County that show up that have been showing up for ever since I've had my amateur status back and have never won. So I mean, sure. they just like being part of it and like to compete. So, and I do have you know a good friend that quit playing who was a pretty good player who says you know i can't beat you guys so i'm not gonna play so there there you go so it's it's uh you know there's two sides to it and now time for a quick bucket 
Well, Steve, you've been great. We really appreciate the time. Just going to get you out of here on a segment that we have here at the back of the range called the Quick Bucket. These are just a couple random questions that we'll ask. Actually, this one, you might have a little bit of a conflict of interest here, but we're going to go ahead and ask it anyway. So the 1986 Masters victory by Jack Nicholas at the age of 46 versus a fifth green jacket for Tiger Woods. Which would be the more substantial victory? Well, the 86 Masters was the greatest tournament in history. Oh, but, uh, yeah, try and hide it a little bit, Steve. Come on. <laughs> but, so Tiger's got four. Is that what you're telling Tiger me? has four. So if Tiger wins a fifth. Arnold's got four, right? Uh, yeah, Arnold has it, four, uh, yeah. Well, oh, that's right. So now, so this is a really complex question. We got, if, well, if Tiger gets well, his five, in, he beats in ter- Arnold. In terms, of, in terms of media coverage and and. And things obviously, Tiger winning again would be would be huge. Uh, there's just you know so much more coverage now to the sport and things like that. But I, uh, heck, I don't know. I mean, it's inspiring people to take up the game again and, and, and do things. Uh, you know, Tiger Tiger winning Augusta would be would be huge. But what? How old is he? Forty one, something yeah, like that. Yeah, he's. I think yeah, he's forty one. You know, as far as I'm concerned, Jack Nicholas is the greatest golfer that ever played and, uh, you know, continue to will be until unless Tiger can pass him in, uh, in majors. But, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It'd be huge, but I'm going to say the 86 Masters. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, let's see. Another one for you. So you can give any major, you can give a major championship to anyone in history, male or female. Alive or dead, they could have zero majors or they could have 18 majors. Who would you give a major championship to? And you can't give one to RJ because he just, you know, he just take all the money and, you know, spend it on gift certificates for people. So, uh, <laughs> uh you know what? Maybe yeah. Scott Hoke. <laughs> wow. Really? <laughs> well, Scott. Scott was a member. Scott had, you know, Scott was an interesting fella. A lot of people would probably disagree with that, but yeah, he was at Bay Hill when I was there. And uh, oh, you got to give me a hoax story if you got to get Scott <laughs> hoax story. Oh, I just, I just remember uh, we were sitting around having lunch one day, and there was a mini tour player there, and, and Scott was asking people what they'd been up to, and this mini tour player, you know, he was he was a pretty good player, but he. He said he was going to Monday qualify for a, a PGA Tour event. I just remember Scott Hoke looking at him and saying, "Why in the world would you do that? You got no chance." <laughs> oh my God. So, but he, you know, he he's an interesting fellow. He would just he had no filter. He would say anything, and, and sometimes he probably didn't mean it the way it came out. But but his dad was the total opposite. His dad, Art, I think was his name. And he just was beloved by everybody. He was one of the nicest people you'd ever want to meet. So, uh, you know, just some sort of disconnect, just some sort of disconnect with, uh, yeah, I don't think you find too many people that would say that about Scott, but, but anyway, he was always nice to me, but, uh, I'm just trying to think back of the, the, the try. Who was the guy that, with the pink pants that missed a little putt that Jack went on to win the British Open. And oh, Jack that's Tony Jack. Yeah, that's Tony Jack. No, one Tony Jacklin. Who? Oh, was Doug it? Sanders. I'm sorry, Doug, Doug Sanders. Sanders. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe Doug Sanders. I don't know. Yeah. I, uh, I guess you know. Can I give one to myself? How's that? I always wanted to play in the Ryder Cup and play at Augusta. So it. Uh, you never, you never played in Augusta. You never played there. 
Oh, that's a, that's a great story there. It, uh, no, it was right, right before Jack's final Masters. Gary had called. It was early afternoon. Gary called and said, hey, we're going to fly up and play Augusta. It was only a week or two before. I mean, it wasn't very – the Masters were coming. It wasn't more than a week or two before. And Gary said, we're going to fly up there tomorrow and play, uh, play Augusta. Do you want to go? It would be me, you, my brother Jack, and Dad course i yeah well, i think i can i can make it sure clear, you know, yeah, clear your schedule for that one <laughs> and he said uh you know there's a chance my brother steve might go but he says he can't make it so uh you know if something changes i'll let you know but plan on it i said well that sounds pretty good so i didn't i didn't really tell anybody i didn't get on the phone and call everybody because i thought well this you know too good to be true it might fall through but it got to be about 10 o'clock and I hadn't heard anything and they were leaving early in the morning. So I started, you know, getting my clubs ready and, and, uh, packing what I needed. And then the phone rang and my heart sank. And Gary said, uh, well, I got bad news. He said, uh, my brother, Steve's going to go. So you're out. But he said, uh, but don't worry about it. And he said, dad's a member now. We'll be going all the time. So we'll get you back in there. So, uh, of course, you know, that gets back to Jack, not playing, recreational golf much and <laughs> things we've never gone back so oh. i used to i used to actually tear up when i told the story but now i can tell it you're holding it to, you're it. holding it together okay now <laughs> yeah yeah i cannot get to, i don't get too emotional about it anymore but, you, you, but, ever, you ever uh, kind of bump into steve nicholas and just kind of give him the, uh, no, the old stink eye? <laughs> I, I, never, I never said anything about it i never said anything to gary about hey remember that <laughs> oh man but i figure i'll get there one day but that's all right all right, well, that's my Augusta story. That's a that's a really depressing Augusta story. Yeah, are you gonna end on that? I <laughs> was gonna say we you got you're really kind probably of, one of the low points of my golf career. Yeah, you're so. just really bringing this episode to just a screeching <laughs> screeching halt right now. Oh yeah. man! Well, you asked. No, I did. No, that's that's right. Sometimes you got to ask the the tough and depressing questions. Uh, yeah. Well, Steve, you survived episode one of the Back of the Range Golf Podcast. I really appreciate the time. Best of luck to you uh, next season with your amateur tournaments, and I'm sure we'll bump into each other at some point. Absolutely, Ben. Thanks for uh, wanting to talk to me and uh, wish you the best with the podcast, and we'll definitely see you on the golf course. And there you have it, episode number one of the Back of the Range Golf Podcast. Special thanks to Steve Anderson. If you liked this episode and you know someone that might also, please share it. And feel free to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever this podcast can be found. We will see you next week for another episode of the Back of the Range.